Management Research. Hello and welcome to the Management Research Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eugene Bogdistov. Hello and welcome to our podcast. I know that I promised that we continue with our mini-series on heuristics in management, but we had an interesting event last Friday and I would like to share with you some thoughts about it. That is why this and the next episode will be not about heuristics, but maybe somehow related to the topic of heuristics. And during this day, during the last Friday, we had a very interesting seminar. It's called the Futures Literacy Workshop. So honestly, I'm not a big fan of futures literacy workshops, but I think they are interesting way, they are entertaining, and also they allow you to have a different view on your current situation, on the state of the art of whatever you are working on. And in our event, we worked on the research and future of research at our department and at our university, and we discussed different things in the framework of a futures literacy workshop. If you want to know more about it, I think I already recorded one of the episodes dedicated to the concept of futures literacy capability. Anyway, uh, one of the ideas of this workshop is that you try to think about the future as if it is present, and you take a very specific future. Usually, you try to look in the year 2055 that we have about 50 years of time span from the current point of view. And in our event, we talked about 2035, but I think it was more about what is going to happen in the future. It could have been 2040 or 2050. But anyway, I think the reason why we took 2035 was that because most of the team, or at least big part of the team will be already in pension and we want the researchers to talk about the futures of research as if they are still conducting research and not as if they are already in the pension looking at how research is passing by. Anyway, uh, in these workshops usually you try to describe how the future could look like and you also try to define what are the basic assumptions of the situation future. For example, we assume that the situation remains as it is. There is a competition, there is a democracy, there is an official funding of research, universities are growing, people want to have more of knowledge, having the high education is good for your career, and so on. So kind of basic assumptions that we play with if we look into the future. And then it comes we try to introduce a change in this one of these basic assumptions. You can change several basic assumptions, but let's take one of those. And one of those would be, for example, that research is not founded centrally, not founded by the European Union, by the state, by the federal state, but all money is collected uh, via systems like Kickstarter. So you have to make a tender with regard to your topic and see how many people will give you money for this one. And this is the idea that you are going to play with and you have to develop the alternative future, how it would look like if we change this basic assumption. You can change a different assumption, for example, that competition, that the competition is not existing anymore, or that there is a total dictatorship in the countries, or whatever you want. Just changing one of the assumptions. So why I enjoy this stuff is of course because it's very creative and you can play with this. Why I dislike 
this types of seminars is because they're useless. I kind of, it's very interesting, it's entertaining, but you could have read a book about it or maybe a short article or something, I don't know, the fiction, science fiction, and this will bring you probably the same amount of ideas as you would generate them. The difference is that you generate them on their own. And when I thought about it, and I thought, what is then so contradicting? And contradicting is actually my background, because one of the theories that I used to work on is the path dependency theory. And the path dependency theory actually argues that the futures are almost impossible. It's a very deterministic theory. The first paper I read about it was the paper by David1985. David is the last name of the author. And the paper was called, I think, Clio and the Economics of QWERTY. And in this paper, he tried to describe why we have this QWERTY layout on our keyboard, or QWERTS, if you are in German-speaking region. He tells a very interesting story about a typewriter. I think I've already made a podcast on this. That's why I'm just going to summarize it very shortly. It happened that one of the in, uh, one of the inventors proposed the idea of a typewriter, an individual device to type letters or type anything on the paper, and it was a kind of great genius idea that one could bring to the market because previously people could not do it individually. You had, to, if you wanted to do it, you had to work with these plates that have to be filled with the letters in order to print the page. And his idea was pretty simple. He had like a small hammers that hit on the ink uh, stripe and the letters appeared on the, on the paper. I think you know the system, the old one. There was only one issue with this one. If people were fast, then these small hammers, they jammed. And when he came with this idea to one of the big producers, I think it was one big weapon producer. I think it could be Smith & Wesson, but I'm not sure. And he proposed them to produce his product, they said, actually, you have to resolve this issue, the jamming hammers, because it is, it is a problem. And the best way he could do it is actually to confusing people. He took, he had all the letters from A to Z in one line, and he decided that actually he has to confuse people and locate those letters that are commonly used far away from each other. That's why he created three rows of letters, and they were pretty rather confusing, because the idea was to slow people down. And it worked. And I started producing it, started producing the typewriters. And QWERTYs, by the way, the with these letters, if you just put your five fingers on this one, you can type the word typewriter. And it was rather for marketing issues. That's why not locating these letters there in order to allow the sellers to type the word typewriter when they're selling typewriters. And the interesting thing is that afterwards they found a new technology or there was a different solution that allowed to avoid all the, the small hammers and no jams, and they proposed to locate the letters again from A to Z, but nobody wanted to hammer it. And later, even the Dwarf keyboard, uh, I think it was supported by Apple, and they tried to make it popular because they located the letters in a way that if you use only the middle row of your keyboard, you are able to type 80% of all English words because all the most commonly used letters are in this middle row and so on, but it didn't work. Now on the smartphone you can install any keyboard that you want to. But all people are still using the QWERTY keyboard, because they've got to use to it. And that's how he developed the theory of path dependency, that is a kind of each next decision is limited by the previous one. So at the beginning, in this example, they had millions of opportunities how the letters can be located. 
But after they decided on one format, they had already fewer decisions because then they started producing them. People got used to them. People learned to type fast. People had special courses on this fast or 10 fingers typing and probably you know these classes and so on. They installed already plenty of these machines in the journals, in, I don't know, in the schools, universities, so people were using them privately. Nobody wanted to switch to a different format. And the more people stuck to it, the fewer opportunities they had for the future. So each decision, each time you buy a machine, you're less likely to buy a different standard machine in the future. And it's actually, very, as you can see, deterministic theory that says once we come to the state of lock-in, they call it lock-in state, when you cannot avoid from this path and you have to stick to this format, it's like USB. So maybe it's not the best way to, um, not the best interface, but it is in so much popular that everybody stuck to this USB and the other formats, they simply will not be accepted by the market, will not be accepted by the people because all the devices we have are on USB and different other devices are with USB. What I want to say with this is actually the path dependency theory says that the change to different futures is almost impossible. And there are two ways to change this locking state. The first one is through the huge investment if the firm invests truly millions and billions in order to create a new format and then millions and billions in order to convince other people to use it. And the other way would be through an external event, for example, like COVID-19 after it happened. Then those firm who focused coincidentally on the online communication, they became very rich. And those who focused on the offline communication, like a small local stores, during the lockdown period, they lost all the money. So it's like a coincidence that may happen. And what I thought about the Futures Literacy Workshop, we don't really plan the future. We just try to plan it what could happen if tomorrow people cannot see each other, if tomorrow we can communicate only using internet, or vice versa, if tomorrow internet disappears, if the new COVID virus is not the human virus, but the computer virus. And these are the things that you can play with. Whether it's useful, it's anyway, it is a lot of fun. Whether it's useful, I don't know, because theoretically, if it happens, take a half an hour, two hours of time and play with this thought. So why should you play in advance if you don't even know what kind of events is going to happen? Will it be a meteor? Will it be a comet from the, from the space? Will it be a new virus, a new species? It can be anything. It can be just something like a financial crisis in 2008, driven by the housing prices that were driven by something else. That is why it is, anyway, very interesting, but as you see, the futures literacy is a kind of compatible with a path dependency theory because it tries to look at different externalities, but the only issue is that futures literacy assumes that if there are different futures, you can strive towards a certain future. The path dependency theory would say that you cannot. You will need to invest plenty of money or you will need an external event that will change everything. And in this thing, I think, I have a kind of internal conflict that shows that it's very interesting, it's pleasure to play, as for example writing a story is always a pleasure, but it's useful. It's a very debatable thing. If you want to share your thoughts with me, with other listeners, write them in the comment section or drop me an email, and next time I can talk about your point of view on this topic. Wish you all the best and see you in the next episode. In two episodes, we continue with our mini-series on heuristics in organization. All the best to you.
बाय बाय